Colin Horton. I'm an award-winning surveyor, part-time property investor and self-confessed entrepreneur. I believe that business is all about getting to know the people that you're dealing with and that's exactly what we're going to be doing on this podcast. We'll be having in-depth chats, asking the personal questions and ultimately getting candid. Good morning, everyone. Um, Today, I have got someone I find very inspirational and has, well, for want of a better word, be very honest on LinkedIn, uh, has guided me with my own business, sorted out a kitchen problem I had in about two seconds, and um, I think it's going to be a really fascinating guest on today's show. His name is Darren Waitson. Um, he is the MD of Nirvana Maintenance. Uh, forgive me if I got that wrong. Uh, you can correct me in a minute. Um, and he's just an all-round very fascinating chap. So I really do think today's podcast will be interesting, knowledgeable, and hopefully relatively amusing as well. So, um, Darren, if you'd like to kind of introduce yourself. Remember, these people have no idea who you are. So please introduce yourself in a, in a layman's way if you can, please, my friend. Cheers, morning, Colin. Um, well, hopefully some of the listeners will have some idea of who I am, otherwise yeah. a bit of a failing on my, my LinkedIn um, profile. But yeah, what an intro. Um, my name's Darren. I'm founder and CEO of Nirvana Maintenance. Um, Nirvana are a service provider specialising in the leasehold block and estate sector. Our clients are property managers who look after blocks of apartments and estates. And we over the last 10 years, we've been, been in business for over 10 years, we have developed our services and we offer a complete all-round service ranging from compliance matters, from electrical to fire safety, which is obviously fire safety has become a major talking point in the industry over the last few years for the right reasons, um, to cleaning packages, um, compliance, general maintenance. Um, our offering is basically that we're the one point of contact for property managers and we um, we aim to, to solve the vast majority of the problems, whether that is planned or reactive. Nice. I mean, you have been, I think we kind of met through kind of the sector and LinkedIn were both relatively prolific on there. And what I like about you is you're just so honest about, and you don't, you don't really take any prisoners, which I, I really appreciate because not many people do that anymore. It's got me in um, trouble I'm, a few times, Colin, I must say. It's got yeah. me in trouble a few times. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, I think even the negative stuff, you can turn that, I think you turn it into the positive kind of brand and brand awareness, I think. And I think that's what I found was why I wanted to get you on the show. I mean, one thing you are very kind of passionate about is fire safety, isn't it? That's one yeah. thing that um, really stands out when I think of, you know, I think of yourself and your company. Um, you know, what's kind of, is there a driver behind that? You know, what, what, what made you become so passionate about what is a very emotive subject at the moment? Yeah, I think it's um, a little bit of my personality. I'm outspoken privately. I, I, I have a lot to say for myself. Anyone that knows me, friends, family, first ones to say that about me. Um, I suppose, as I say, we've been going for 10 years, but I've only really been active in the market for, say, five years. The first five years, we were kind of very silent, very local, family-run companies doing our own thing, completely off the radar. I used to go onto LinkedIn, and I'd say probably some of the listeners might might sympathise with this, is, you go onto LinkedIn and you're seeing your competitors talk and you're seeing just how the industry just is talking. And they used to wind me up. I used to sit there and this, this went on for years, Colin. I used to sit there watching what was going on, watching what people were talking about, had an opinion on it, but wouldn't share that opinion. And then all of a sudden I found my phone and thought, you know what, I'm going to jump onto LinkedIn uh, and started to, to talk some truth um, into what I saw as failings in the industry. Um, and, even I've, I've even been 
candid about talking about how sometimes my clients can fail in the way that they go about things and their um, sort of perception of of how they should treat safety. And it all coincided. I mean, Grenfell was over three years ago now, so it was quite sort of early on in my sort of coming onto social media, but it fell into place that there's so many shortcomings. Um, and even in our most, I mean, going back to the sort of Nirvana, in our most recent offering, we've kind of flipped um, cleaning, um, communal cleaning on its head. For years, I used to sit there thinking cleaning contractors are stepping on our toes as compliance-based, heavily accredited businesses that comes with a cost. Um, treading on our toes, offering weekly fire alarm tests and monthly emergency lighting tests. And in the last 12 months, we've started offering our clients cleaning services because we see that adding, it's viewed as lesser skilled trades to our offering, to our clients, was easier to do it from offering lesser skilled people or, or, or services, but having them working within a structure that can ensure compliance rather than the cleaning trying to step into the compliance world. And it's gone down incredibly well. And we're going to put this sort of the, the afterburners on that um, offering to our clients in the next three months. We've got some really exciting offerings coming um, that we're really, really excited to launch to the market. Good man. I mean, it's it's so lovely to hear. Cause, you know, I find you. you know, I'm not just saying this, mate, because you're on the show, but like, you, I find you inspiring, mate. It's nice how you kind of, you know, I know we, we spoke at the start of lockdown, and I was a bit, you know, I was a bit scared, mate. I'm completely honest with you. I didn't know what, what how it was going to affect the company, and you know what's going to happen. And I think you know, seeing other people like yourself who are kind of pivoting so well is really you know refreshing. Um, so when it comes to the cleaning side of things, obviously. I think there's perception of cleaners that I think needs to change, especially in the block management system. I know there's a couple of people that do do it. I don't believe there is a market leader that I can see at the moment that someone that's really taken. Um, that may well be you, my friend. But um, yeah. I mean, what is it when you're kind of liaising with uh, your clients? I, I'm, I'm presuming they're the block management companies that you're liaising with. Yeah. Um, do you find that your kind of your candidness that you have been, where you have some, you know, some outrightly called out clients, maybe poor management? Does that has that worked well for you, or is it sometimes as you know what you can't swear on this? Fuck it, I shouldn't have done that. You know, is that have you ever had that kind of thought? Where, you know, you, you've you've been so honest about someone, you know, has had a positive effect on you going forward, or you know, with those clients, are they they're receptive to that, or are they not? I won't lie, we, we've we've had um, an awful lot of positivity around talking frank, but we have. I have lost clients or lost potential clients. I wouldn't say we've lost any existing client because of talking honestly, because they know me personally. They benefit from me being honest with them from the outset and explaining what they should and shouldn't be doing. But I would say that we have approached certain um, prospective clients who are probably less warm to engage with us because maybe they've got the wrong perception. I mean, look, um, my personality probably is a bit marmite, that you either love it or you hate it, and it's very hard to convert the, the hate um i have made mistakes with the way things are executed and communicated but the the core of what i'm trying to say is is that look the industry isn't perfect and there's an awful long way to go and it's a lot of education to be to be had and that's with suppliers and with managing agents um so yeah the the management sector itself because the the turnaround like we because we you know we've project our, our building span firm you know we're speaking to you know the same people you're probably speaking to in the management companies and because the turnover of staff is so great a lot of time those relationships you have with individual property managers changes so quickly um and i do find it's very much a, a personality preference who, who they use 
Um, you may have a much better product than someone else, but they might just prefer someone else. Um, but I, you know, I always think if you're the way because you're so candid about how you know how they how, how they're behaving, if they're doing their job properly, they should. I think they should fully appreciate you know the candid. You know, I'd rather I'd rather be told that my service was terrible. we've never gone into the thing of naming names i'd never ever go to our site take photographs or or videos from our site because there's that professional barrier that you have to have um it's just more of the wider um i i heard through the grapevine i I heard a comment once from another supplier said oh um some of my clients um, having a perception of me as you're trying to preach and tell us how to do their jobs um and from a fire safety aspect, you have to listen to experts that are highly accredited, highly experienced about what you should and shouldn't do. This is one of the challenges. A property manager wears so many different hats. They can't be fire experts, and no one's claiming that they should be. But you have to partner with the right um, the right service providers to deliver that. Um, our biggest challenge that we have is that a lot of the conversation comes around cost. Um, you talk about people moving around. Once they engage with companies like us, um, we're very fortunate that that actual migration around the block management agents actually serves us very well because they take our name and they do our job. I mean, we don't have a full-time development manager um, because as soon as we get a relationship going, we can basically network within that because they can take us with them. Um, and we have we have a range of sites. I mean, we have sort of four approaching 500 developments under contract or we engage with throughout the year at any one particular time. And some of those you some of those developments can range from two units, single staircase with a single emergency light at the top, to some of our largest developments, which are thousands, like two, three thousand units, multi-mixed use developments um, that are incredibly complex. And of course, every single property manager has their own unique take on how that development should be maintained. I mean, you can't compare a um, a single staircase with a single emergency light to a multi-thousand unit development. Now, when it comes to compliance and regulation, there is no, it doesn't distinguish between those two things. And that's what probably the sector struggles with the most. The regulation applies the same to um, a, a very, very small development up to a, a very, very large mixed use complex development. Do you find you get enough support from the regulatory bodies in the sector, such as uh, RMR and? Uh, IRPM, you know, I, I, you know, I've openly said sometimes that I find Ricks for us lets us down to a degree. You know, I don't always feel we, you know, we pay a lot of money to these regulators, and I don't always feel like we get, you know, what we. You know, I just find it's always a fee here, a fee there, it's another fee here, it's another fee there. Do you yeah. find you get, the, especially with fire? You know, it, it's like I said, I don't want to keep talking about fire all the time, but it, yeah. I, you know, you are an expert in the field, and do you find that you do get enough? support and guidance from the regulatory bodies in the so we don't engage too much with armor um they they more serve our clients so that's probably a question for our client what what guidance they get from that i was a big critic and i, I don't want to dig it all up again but i was a big critic around um some of the events putting people up on stage as experts who weren't experts in my opinion um and as a supplier i know what process would go through to get you onto that stage and it came predominantly around money um if you were paying if there was no vetting of who who was an expert or not the the marketing teams were would engage on how much are you going to pay and are you going to pay for a, a seat in that in that spot our support comes from our accreditation so we're fire ass for passive fire um they're amazing they audit us they're incredibly hard on us 
whether those processes are um, aware to our clients about what we should be adopting and how we work is a big frustration because we're, we're governed and guided by people like FireRass. But then our clients aren't always aware of what we have to, the hoops that we have to jump to to deliver that, you know, ultimately to benefit them as a client. Um, we're members of ASFP, which is the Association of Specialist Fire Protection. Um, they are an amazing source of information for training, um, independent advice. NICEIC for electrical, safe contractor, DAFE for fire. So we, we have all these accreditations. We have an incredible big pool of people to, to pull on. Um, but I don't think they actually are active enough. They don't target our sector. So if I said to FireRass, you, how, how do you engage with armour or how do you engage with the block and the state leasehold sector, they probably wouldn't. I think, unfortunately, their biggest focus is on construction. And I hate, I hate being called a contractor because I used to work in construction. I used to work on building sites. Our offering about what we offer is completely different to if you're a builder or if you're a construction company. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, yeah, no, it's, I didn't mean to interrupt there, mate. I mean, you're right. It's, it's, I know because I had a very brief foray into potentially looking at fire uh, from my building savan aspect. Um, and the regulatory bodies that you do, you know, it's mat- the amount of work you have to do to even get regulated is, is incredible. And I, I don't think that's clear enough. I mean, it's it's incredible the amount of logistics you have to go through to even get a sign-off and to be able to have those regulatory bodies against your yeah. name. Um, so I think that's – I do think it needs to be more apparent in the sector. And, I, you know, I, I think it's – People think of finance, I just think of forms. I mean, I think of form, EWS1 forms. I mean, I went through it myself. I had to get the bloody forms done. I hate it because I spent a lot of money on this form, which was literally just a piece of paper. And this is produced, you know, we thought back on the money's rise, I'll be completely honest. You know, I thought there must be money to be made from the EWS1 side of things. But um, it was just, they, you know, they vary in quite, I mean, it's not, that's actually not a service that we provide ourselves, but I'm aware of it and the challenges. And, Again, it's come out of nowhere. Everyone's rushing to get it done, and the quality varies significantly from probably fully non-compliant to fully compliant, and you've got everything that sits in between that. And clients know that they have to engage in that process, but they don't understand what's compliant and what's not compliant, I suppose. Yeah, that's stuff. Do you do, I mean, I'm pretty I'm answering my own question here, but I, do you do, I'm guessing you do training with your property managers, you speak to them, you kind of run through that kind of stuff. Cause I think that's what a lot, a lot of the younger ones, I think, need people like you, actually, that are um, – you're, you're a strong you're a strong person, aren't you? Like, both like physically and like professionally, you're a strong person. I think sometimes the younger people in sector could do with a bit of guidance from someone that is actually quite relatable. Hmm. You're not – I don't find you as someone that's stiff and unapproachable. Candid, um, no. yeah. But I think you're approachable. I can imagine having a pint with you down the pub. Well, I think we've already done that before anyway. I think, I think the biggest challenge with that is that a lot of companies offer that under the guise of wanting to upsell. And that switches off. If you genuinely – and I, look, we do things. We're in business. I'm in business to make money. Let's not shy away from that. But I think there's a, there is a hands-off approach with suppliers. There's a big distrust with, with suppliers or contractors or tradespeople, however you want to term us. Because there's that, there's that level of distrust. I think if, I mean, we do very well with going to our clients and educating them and, and talking to them, sitting in a room pre COVID and, and talking about what, what they should and shouldn't be doing. But there's an awful lot as well as, as just purely trying to upsell their services. So that they'll, they'll go under the guise and within five, 10 minutes, everything's being bombarded about how they can sell their products to you. Um, 
I prefer doing things like this, where it's much more just catch me off cold, talk to me about what needs to be discussed, and I'll give an honest, genuine feel on what I think that the, how the industry should be going. Yeah, I appreciate. I mean, as business, because we are ultimately we're sales. I'm a salesman. You're a salesman. It's your business mm. to grow. This. I mean, you see through the upselling, don't you? When you, you get someone coming, you know they're going to start trying to sell you other products. You know it's coming. Oh, it's just too good to be true. You know we're going to add this on, we're going to add that on, and it. Yeah. You do start to kind of. Um, I think I've noticed you get sold a lot of stuff as a business owner. Don't you, you get yeah. always people coming to you trying to offer you this, offer you that, offer you that. And I mean, what's the best sales pitch you've had from someone? <laughs> The best sales pitch. Well, the worst. It could be the worst. Maybe the worst is better. I like the worst ones. I think, look, I mean, I'm big on LinkedIn. I like to engage with LinkedIn a lot. Um, we do that much more of a softer sell. So it's, I don't ever, ever once approach my client and say, these are the services that we can do. Here's the, the sales pitch. Um, I'd rather just create awareness and people approach me. And, and it's amazing how many people are sort of receptive to that. The worst I ever have is when you you literally have someone that, that contacts you on LinkedIn or even just the request and you you accept the request and you literally get some pre within thirty seconds pre designed essay. I don't even read them. I don't know where people start with that approach because it's, it's I'm not ready. I've not engaged with you for that reason. Um, so so yeah, I, nice to have. A, I mean, I've been called. I've got well, I've got approached by one the other day, a recruitment consultant. Which they always uh, call me Colon for a start. Like, oh, yeah, that's an interesting one. Oh, yeah, I was like, oh, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, it's like, oh, um, we're hiring for a surveyor. And I was like, yep, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a surveyor, but I've got a surveying practice. So yeah. I don't. And uh, I went back quite firmly to him. And it was, uh, I just think a little bit of care. If he actually, you know, engaged with me, you know, look, look when, I, when I do the kind of impromptu messages to clients and stuff on LinkedIn, you kind of look a bit about, uh, maybe speak to someone that might know them, just try and touch base a little bit. That's why. I kind of wanted, I mean, we've digressed a little bit, um, kind of about actual sex and stuff, but um, some of the questions I was asking in a minute was kind of why I wanted to get you on it because I think it's useful for people to know when they do speak to you, it's a little bit of common ground. It's so lovely, even if you know, I don't know, their their kid's birthday or what football team they support or what car they like. It's something you can chat to, it's something you can all, I was always told to remember one thing about everyone you always meet so that every time you speak to them, it looks like you are kind of taken on board what they're saying, even if you're not. Yeah. You are just. So I was like, don't know, you know, how's the dog? And I remember I've got a dog. And it's just something so straight away, it's quite familiar about that yeah. person. So I'll start with some of the, the deeper questions, mate. Go on, and see what we, uh, see how we get on, all right? So um, I wanted to ask this one because for me, it was quite, um, I'm, I get scared a lot as a business owner. I, I'm, a, I'm an avid warrior, very impulsive. Um, I will make decisions there and then, but I also worry a lot at the repercussions. I'm one of them ones. Yeah. Um, what is your kind of biggest professional and also your biggest personal fears? Um, so it's, it's going to cross business and a little bit personal, mate, but I want to kind of get to know you a little bit and yeah. let the list get to know you. So um, far away. That's actually um, your description about what your biggest fears are, are very, very common for, for I'd say everyone that's in business by themselves. I, I was very fortunate enough a few years ago um, to go on the Goldman Sachs small business program, um, had to go through a process. Um, when I'm on the cohorts, went to Oxford University. It's probably the only other time I'd ever go to, certainly the first ever waits them to go to, um, to Oxford University. And, and But the biggest thing that I learned out of that was actually the peer-to-peer engagement. And you're talking to lots and lots of different business owners from very small businesses to multi-million pound um, multinational businesses. And the biggest common um, 
peer-to-peer learning that was just the fear of the fear of failure and the fear of fear of unknown and not actually having that mentorship and having actually having that um that sort of shoulder to lean on that that ear to have so i know that when you were doing a few posts at the beginning of covid and you were talking about how you were concerned about that's why i called you up because i thought do you know what we're all in this together and just having a chat makes it so much easier you know, so, mate, you uh, meant a lot that chat mate you yeah. pretty much changed my whole trajectory of the business. We're all so, going through, yeah, thank you for that, mate. Thank we're, you. We're all going through the same thing. We, all of us, certain, no one had ever dealt with that kind of situation before. There was a lot of support out there. Not everyone knew where the support to go to was, um, where it was hidden. Um, so, so go back to your question. I think fear of failure is by far my yeah. biggest driver. Um, what is a failure for you, though? What's your fact? What, what, what would you class it? Um, that is a deep question. Um, it's deep, isn't it? it's not even about about failing in business because I've, I've been in business for a long time now i've had businesses that haven't worked i've at a very very young age um in in early 20s i had a business that was in electrical contracting it was on construction and we got hit for hundreds of thousands of pounds and when you're in your early 20s i mean try to fathom out i had a young family at the time um i had a mortgage and i lost my business because of it um so i wouldn't even say fear of failure is 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 failing in in business i just think it's just it's just that that overriding drive is maybe it's even ego <laughs> is to, to to fail um i just don't allow to allow that to happen and i'm so driven that um i'm so resilient um to to criticism so resilient to to issues probably to my detriment now as i'm getting a bit older i do feel it i've got i've got a young family and i I want to spend more time with my kids as, I, as as they get older, um, and also the other thing as well is is that as you get older, so you you have children, you you take on bigger mortgages, and you have bigger commitments. Your actual risk taking becomes less. Um, I know that when I was in my early twenties, I used to be just crazy, just taking risks all the time, and that's laid the foundation to where I am now. But I've I've sort of learned and developed myself over the last few years, definitely, and just trying to take a bit of time for myself i do i've been talking a lot recently on linkedin about self-care and wellness and looking after my team and and maybe we'll touch on it later about what what success looks like but actually my biggest success of now is actually the development of my team it's less about me um and i don't also i also don't expect my team to be like me my biggest failing in the past used to be when we when we recruited people. And I remember when we first started to employ people in our in our business, we were just excited that someone had turned up for an interview. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh my god, someone actually wants to come and work for me. And it was almost like first person through the door, you've come in, you've shown an interest, we're going to employ you. We made a lot of mistakes with that tactic. Um, so yeah, look, we, we've learned so much uh, over the last decade, really. So. Um, um, it's, I think it's so lovely to hear kind of the investing in the team side of things because mm. that is something that's so often overlooked. Like I got on a post the other day that from my best of post about giving everyone the freedom days off. Um, I love the end that. Of and it's by the response to that, you can tell how much that means to people to have. I mean, I've, I've had good bosses and I've had some bad bosses, but knowing that someone's actually, you know, I kind of treat mine as a family, sometimes it's a bit of a mistake. I, I know that I can get a bit too not close in terms of, you know, I just, I care for them and I take things quite personally, you know, and it's, it's hard. I mean, how do you, do you, is, do, you do you find it difficult to tread that line between 
kind of being a boss and then being their friends because I, I really i really struggle with that personally yeah so we we we're a family-run company so started the the company with my parents my wife now works for the company as well so we actually had the real strange development of our business so it used to, it was just family members to start off with and then we started to recruit people and there'd be non-family members joining the company but unconsciously we'd created this kind of two-tiered system where basically we were a family-run business the family would have issues that go on like you have child care issues or someone's poorly just deal with it you're, you're one of the family to deal with it but then staff coming in wouldn't be treated like that and we learned the hard way now the business and we've learned this is not natural this is we've learned this is do you know what that's completely wrong i want to treat my staff that if they have a problem deal with it got childcare problems deal with it i i do care about how you feel and how you what's going on in your personal life and this is only in the last few years that we started to really do this and we've just seen such an incredible turnaround for our business because of it I mean, we've always been successful. We've always been growing. But the last couple of years have been really, really successful because teams are fully bought into the family feel. We always used to say, look, we're a family-run company. But the reality is when we started, it wasn't really like that. It was just the core people were the family. And then you had sort of people on the outskirts of that. And, and when I look back, we made a lot of mistakes with that. We had some really good people that ultimately didn't stay with us probably because of that of that culture. So the culture we have now is a real positive one. It's a real... Uh, we we care for each other. We 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 regularly check in with each other. We're doing things to to reinvest um, money back into the business to create initiatives around well being and and and, and um, development days and team days. Um, the post that you did a few weeks back about um, the Freedom Day um, was something that really resonated with me because I was thinking about ideas about what can I do because personally. I'm up to my eyeballs with it. Like I'm fed up with lockdown now, like massively. Like I've got, I've got kids at home. Everyone, we can't wait to get back to normal and go and see my friends and go and see family. And I thought, well, look, everyone's everyone's experiencing that. What can we do? So we couldn't actually get the 21st of June. Um, I think everyone's probably got a similar. It's probably off the back of your post. Probably everyone got the same idea to, to do this, which is credit to you. So on the 24th of June, we're going to do um, just going to go out for go karting for the day. It's a complimentary day during the week. Complimentary day off for everyone. The whole business, top to bottom. We're going to go go-karting. We've, we've um, organised a nice meal somewhere. We're just going to have a complete day off just to get to see each other. We haven't seen each other for months and months and months and just have a chill day and just celebrate the end of COVID but also the success of our business. And making it through. You made it through, mate. I mean, yeah. uh, fair fuck. You, you got through it and you're, and you're thriving. I think people, the amount of companies that have struggled. In, like, you touched on it earlier, actually. You felt almost guilty for talking about kind of the successes of the company over the last yeah. 12 months. I've been so many companies that have struggled. I completely, I, I get that, mate. I resonate with that. It's, well, I, see, um, I see even people in our sector um, that have had to furlough staff, have had to make redundancies. Some of our competitors have had to do that. And I feel really sorry for that situation. At the end of the day, human beings have been impacted by that. And not just the people that have been made redundant, the, the owners of that company have had to make some really, really tough decisions and have awful conversations. We've we've thrived in this situation. Um, we've seen a massive uptick in in reactive jobs because more people are at home. Residents are doing our job for us, which are highlighting issues on site to so the property manager. The property manager is swamped with inquiries. They need to go to one point of contact to deal with this incredible uptick of, of maintenance issues. In the last few months, I mean, literally in the last three or four months, we've had a 68% increase in in um instructions um doesn't always relate to revenue because obviously the different levels of spend per work sort of a 68 percent increase in workload in essence 
So we're going through a, um, a real growth drive at the moment, and we're looking to um, review our structure, um, both operationally and um, office support. It's a really exciting times, and we've we've reinvested a lot of that uptick of revenue and profit back into the business. I mean, we've closed our office. We're we're going to go fully working from home. Um, we we leased our office. I've leased offices for seven, six, seven years. Um, our lease was due um, for renewal in August of last year, so a few months after lockdown. Everyone adapted so well to it. Um, and although I'm relatively young, um, I had a bit of an archaic view of working from home. Um, I was like, can't work. People have got to be what? People have to be managed. Um, but the complete reverse happened for us. Everyone worked from home. We obviously invested in infrastructure and improving people's um, IT infrastructure at home and computers and whatnot um, and telephone systems. But we've had such an increased um, return on customer satisfaction, the amount of positive feedback that I get from the team saying that clearly your team love working for Nirvana. They they clearly love what they do. And as a business owner, that you, you couldn't get a better res- an email or a telephone call from one of your clients. So we're really excited about what the future holds because um, we've we've sort of got rid of the shackles of an office. Because one of the biggest challenges we've had when we've tried to develop and the vision is to go nationwide in a few years is, well, you're based in in Bromley on the outskirts of London and the southeast. Um, and, we, and, and surely you only cover that small area and we don't. We cover the whole of the southeast. So we kind of go Cambridge, Milton Keynes, everything south of that, all the way down to the south coast. So by getting rid of a permanent office means that we can actually recruit staff nationwide because everyone can dial in. I get the challenges that people need the social interaction and we're looking at that kind of thing. Uh, operationally, it's been less of a challenge because our systems are quite robust and quite forward-thinking that everyone can get um, controlled remotely. Jobs can be issued via um, web-based systems um, onto their tablets. They complete their reports. So that's the way we're going to go over the next few years, um, certainly nationwide region by region is the way we're going to develop the business it's exciting man. i mean we um i i'm at that point where we thought about similar in terms of expansion with savannah it's still a bit different obviously but we want to have a bit more of a national reach yeah. and it's that i don't know but that scary moment when you think okay let's bring on more savannah that's going to be an extra i mean savannah's are expensive for the best of times it's a higher yeah um and it's like God, I'm committing myself to a lot of money here. I mean, do you did you do you have the same kind of? I'm I'm, I'm a bit scared. I'm completely honest. I'm scared. Like I've got I've got to get a couple of new surveyors on board to service kind of the grand plans. But it's a lot, mate. It's a, it's a lot, and it's all. I'm also one thing. Like you still got to enjoy what you're doing. You know, you still have to reward yourself for the money that you are making at the company. Like I've never been one. You know, we, we'll invest stuff back in the company, but we will take out you know divvies and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Do you, I mean, Ricky, hopefully you're going to reassure me that you have the same, yeah, the same thoughts that you also think, like when you're hiring new staff members that you do, you do get a little bit scared that, you know, I'm not going to be able to say. Again, only very, very recently, we've started to be much more data driven. So we record information. So you can look at trends about how clients spend, where they geographically, what type of services, what's more profitable. Um, For us, it's very easy because it's probably similar to you as well, Colin, because our service is, is the same regardless of the, the, the location within the UK. So um, the regulation is the same, certainly in England anyway, the regulation is is the same, property managers' problems are the same, the same developments get built in the same way. So it's very, very much a scalable business. But years gone by, it used to be much more blind decision-making. 
I mean, you've you got to have luck. People talk about in business and you, you, you get lucky. And, of course, that's the case. But I know that when we um, – I was say only recently we started changing our thought process. We make much more calculated decision making, but it usually blind decision. Like we get a bill for something, like even external sources from like um, from a supplier that's going to support us on a on a website or on, on some other sort of business. You see the bottom line figure, and you that's expensive, and you just do it naturally because you think, oh, that's a lot of money. But what have you, what's that going to return? What's that? What's how much how much money are you making every month? It's only in the last few years have we started doing cash flow forecasts. It used to literally be. A meeting at the end of the year with my accountant and used to say you've made this and that's it every year now it's every month every week really we're doing we're looking at the financials of what's going on in the business especially during covid we completely changed because we wanted to go we don't know where this is going to go we want to start tracking how many works orders we get in a day how much spend's being spent with us a month on what type of services on what type of client so we're much more data driven now so there's only suggestion i would make to any businesses that isn't doing that is to start looking at the data because it makes the decision making a hell of a lot more easier. Otherwise, you're just never going to sleep at night. Yeah, it's uh, I've had a fair few sleepless nights, mate, that have kind of yeah. come through. I, you know, I'm I sum up. I pay my corp tax weekly because I don't okay. want a massive lump sum at the end. I pay my VAT weekly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's a, it's a lonely road, mate. I'll be honest with you. It's a lonely place to be, even though you know I've got other people involved, but it's lonely and. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times where, like, I split with my ex fiance recently, and um, she was wonderful at the start, mate. She really, really helped. Unless you've got someone that, like, um, <laughs> it always starts like that, Colin. Yeah, yeah. Well, my life changed. My life changed, mate. You know, I was, things were doing it right. I got a bit arrogant, mate. I'm completely honest with you, mate. I was going out, and I, I, I was, I was going out too much. You know, you're, yeah. you're going on socials and whatnot, and it was it's a lonely place and you need to be around other business owners to really, I always find you need to surround yourself with people that you aspire to be like, or on the same level to you that are going to push you. Yeah. Um, well, you know, one of the things way- that I've realized very, very recently again, um, was I am the world's worst manager. I can't <laughs> manage people. I can't manage people. And when you actually think about what you actually went out and started to be in business for, what you end up doing day to day isn't always that it's always glamorous people will see the glamorous side of running the business but the reality is is what you end up doing daily isn't actually what you started out to do or even the, even what you're probably the best at doing i love talking to people i love selling the business i love growing the business dealing with cash flow forecasts is not my thing but it has to happen it has to happen yeah. but you obviously get to a certain stage in business you employ people that love spreadsheets we've got we've got people in our business that loves us just love a spreadsheet and teach my i've got real basic knowledge of of excel um equal yeah. sum bracket is probably about as far as i as i get really so um <laughs> yeah it's it's you, you you typically end up doing stuff that you don't want to do in business um until you get to a certain stage and then you actually have a bit of epiphany and say do you know what i can set a structure up in the business where i'm going to do what i want to do every day are you working you don't have to answer this are you working towards selling it in the future is that something that will happen yeah i mean i'm i'm yeah, I'm unashamed to say that I want to get to a stage where the business will be nationwide, will be established. I mean, we're talking years down the line. It's nothing that's imminently about to happen about selling a business. But whether it would be full exit or whether it would be taking some chips off the table, because one of the things I got taught in the Goldman Sachs program is as entrepreneurs, and that, that word gets used too often and people cringe when they say it, um, but as entrepreneurs, um, we are a rare commodity because we're resilient 
to put up with a lot of crap and we we have that real drive and ambition but as time goes on i've got a, i've got a quite a big mortgage now i've got three children expensive lifestyle all these things that that cost money it makes you less less risky which actually is clipping my wings to a certain extent because if i had that mindset when i first started i would have given up gone and worked for someone so taking some chips off the table so taking a partial exit what they what what they told me in the golden sachs program was that actually gives you a second second wind because investors will will see you as a rare commodity, as a driving force behind a business as an entrepreneur and go, do you know what, let's get rid of all your concerns about risk. So let's hopefully, I'm saying it's a very fortunate situation, but let's hope one day, mortgage paid off, a bit of money in the bank so you haven't got to stress about where your next holiday is coming from or where your next meal is coming from, whatever, um, and give you that second drive. So that's what I'm looking forward to now because I'm – I'm, I won't say my exact age, but I'm closer to 40 now than I am to 30. Um, <laughs> and I'm getting to a stage now where um, I have a lot of commitments and I, I, I realise I am more risk-averse than I used to be. There's nothing wrong with that, mate. I think you have to be. It's only, I'm selling my flat at the moment. So I sold my hat marriage to home, bought a flat. Um, I only bought it in December, mate. I've done the right on it. I'm going to yeah. sell it. And you're freeing up some money. And it's part of me in the back. I like the nice things in life. Part yeah. of me in the back of my head to go and spunk it on some yeah. like, I don't know, whatever I can get my hands on. Um, what, like, what's your, because like, something I was intrigued to know, actually, what, if, no wife, no kids, what is Darren spending his money on? Enjoying it. I don't want any, like, put it on the Forex. I don't want any of that stuff. Like, what what would you spend your money on if you could? No, you're not, you're not worried about money. What, what are you spending money on? What's your passion? I'm, 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 I'm talking about the Forex. I'm a much bigger spender than I am an investor, believe me. I always have been. Um, what, what would I be, I'm a massive Man United fan, so I've got season tickets. Oh, um, good, good game last night. I mean, take the win last night. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, I'm, I've got season tickets already. I've got two season tickets. Um, so yeah. I, I take my take my wife and my my boys and, and occasionally friends up with me as well. A box at Old Trafford would probably be the dream um, nice. from a personal very perspective. Nice. Very, very expensive for sometimes not very good football. Um, but <laughs> um, that's probably something personally I'd like to, to strive for. Um, but look, back in the day, I, I used to be out partying. I used to, I, I go to Dubai quite a lot. I've got friends that live there. I like the high life. I'm not um, going to shy away from that. But when you have um, when you have three boys and two of them are under three, um, for the last <laughs> few years, that has that has sort yeah. of curtailed <laughs> that party lifestyle. But yeah, um, I, I love going out, just eating at nice restaurants, going to nice bars, clubs. I still I still like to do that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's massively curtailed these days. I didn't know you're a United fan, mate. That's always yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, so you met, you touched on it very briefly earlier. Um, like you had, you had a business that didn't work out uh, when mm. you were younger. Yeah. What advice would you give to young Darren if you could speak to him now? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, in, with the business failing, it was purely just because it was a, a bad deal. Someone just knocked us for money and just uh, something that probably overexposed probably to a certain extent. So our business model now is we have lots and lots of clients spread out across lots and lots of different sites, whereas back in the day, we used to work for like one or two big clients, all our eggs with one basket, and they end up owning you basically because you can't say anything because they're the ones, they're the paymasters. The only thing I, would, I, I often say to myself about what I would teach myself being younger was – um, before you send, push that send button on that email, read it five times and probably change it five times. So that's probably what I do now because I read back because 
I've got emails going back like four, five, six years, and I, I look at some of them and I, I hide behind my sofa and I cringe. How did I send that? What what foul move was you in when you were sending that email to someone? So I often now write an email, and I have to get involved in contentious stuff all the time. Um, I would get I'll vent, and I'm furiously typing away on my on my computer and vent out, and then I'd probably edit it about five or six times, and then the, the edited version is much more client friendly and much more <laughs> softer. Yeah. I'd say. It's quite nice because um, when you're at the top of the chain, like I've had a couple of clients recently that uh, the results that I've got them I think have been exceptional, but they're just they're just not happy with kind of the service they've had, and it's, that's absolutely fine. Um, and I have done what you've said, and you just want to go back to them straight away with a knee jerk statement Definitely. and effing and jeffing, but you can't do it because you've got to think. But you know, I've, I've made some mistakes. Like you say, and it's it is a, it's a very much a maturity thing, you know. Oh, actually, I've, actually, I've I've sent those emails, believe me. <laughs> in the early <laughs> days, that, that that send button has been pushed. Um, I'm not even confrontational, mate. I hate confrontation, but sometimes if I feel like something's completely unjust, I just want you know you can't say that to me. That's not fair. You're you're like you're completely in the wrong. Yeah. And it's, um, I wish I could out people sometimes. I wish I could, but you know you just can't do it. <laughs> but. Um, yeah. I was touching your successes, so I've only got a couple of questions, mate, and I'll let you um, crack on your day. Um, but obviously, Lebano, it looks to me like a great success. I love the branding. I think how you built it is great. And um, I think one of your successes that I see outside of the thing is not obviously um, just for people listening. I actually had an issue with my kitchen that no one would be able to sort, um, and I just had Corona. And Darren got his team around, and no one else could do it in, in like, what, 24 hours it was sorted? Yeah. And, um, I was eternally grateful. Like, even people that I thought I could count on couldn't deliver. So that was fantastic, man. That that really stuck with me. But what, one thing I, I do really rate about you is, and I, I don't know, forgive me if you're not doing this, but it feels just like you're building your personal brand as much as you are building Nirvana as a brand. And yeah. I sometimes find it hard, I find it hard to, to build, because you're obviously talking about building a company for potential sale in the future. Yeah. Um, where you're growing your personal brand by proxy, your company grows. But at what point with the sale, obviously, if you're going to make a, a part exit, it doesn't really matter. But if you're going to make a full exit, you, you know, I find it, I, I find it hard to work out what's going to happen. You know, is it, is that company all going to be Darren? Is the brand Darren? Or is the company just going to fold if there's no Darren there? I mean, how do you kind of, Blur those, unblur those lines if that makes sense i don't think that question makes any sense but i hope it does no it does um we we've gone through different things where we've when we first sort of got involved because say like five years we didn't do anything there was no social media there was no activity there was no marketing it was just organic growth very very small um and then i then appeared on on social media and, and was being vocal and just driving growth from the business and activity and awareness around the brand and then I took some bad advice. We we then got to a certain size, and it was generating so much um, interest and, and, and results that the marketing company that we were working with at the time said we need to go corporate with this because if you want to create a business um, that one day you might want to sell or you want to sort of take a step back, you don't want to be working in the business, you want to be working on it, you have to come away from that. So we went like a real corporate feel, and I saw the impact. We're not a corporate business, so there's a real sort of misalignment towards the messaging and actually when people then would engage with us, how we deal with stuff, when staff would join us, um, it was completely misaligned. So we've kind of taken a bit more of a softer feel with getting the personality back in the business because we're a smallish company um, and 
I'll always be the sort of face of it. But then you've, you've sort of hit an hour on the head is that if you, if you want to get to a certain stage in, in the business, you, it has to come away from being the one man show. Um, so we're trying to get more people involved, a bit more active, active. Um, certainly the structure of the business and the way the business operates is less about me. Um, the day to day activity, um, they deal with the team, the clients. We have we have account manager, we have help desk. Um, the point of contact is is very rarely with me. Um, but then, you, yeah, I mean, I, I will always be involved in being the face of the business. You'll probably you'll probably realise when I'm probably imminently about to sell it because I'll probably disappear. But, <laughs> it's good though. It's interesting, mate. I've got uh, I've got a couple of other speakers that are coming on. One of them actually going for a disposal of their company um, okay. at the moment. Uh, and it's very similar. It's, it's as you're the entrepreneur, it's you, isn't it? It's, they're, they're what they're buying. They're buying that person. Yeah. So I find it fascinating how people try and navigate that as a problem going forward because it's something that I will potentially look at myself in the future, but stupidly I named it after myself. So i <laughs> not really helped myself. <laughs> well, you've got to look at it. If it's your face and it say it's me, we're talking about me. If a client buys into Nirvana because of Darren, yeah. Darren has to be involved all the way through the process of when they're engaging all the touch points. So when they're raising works orders or if they've got a query or they've got a complaint or they they want to raise new contracts with us. If if I'm if I'm the face and I've been the, the only reason they've been attracted to the to the brand, I have to be I have to be all the way through that. And I can't be in all those places. So it's a, it's a very, very fine balance to get right. It's hard, isn't it, to take yourself away from that because no one will ever do things how you do things. As much as you build all the process, build everything, you could build you could build the most wonderful CRM system, but it's it's never you, is it? But you've, got to have, but you, you've got to have an anchor of what the yeah. the brand stands for, and you only employ people that that honestly tick those boxes. You're not going to replicate yourself because if, would you hire yourself? <sighs> I probably, I probably couldn't couldn't cope with myself if I'm being honest with you. <laughs> but again, I'm probably better now at understanding what people's strengths are. I mean, I've worked yeah. for companies and I didn't enjoy it. I had an authority problem, and and I want to be. I'm a, I'm actually a bit more of a lone wolf in the way that I deal with stuff. I'm not. I'm the worst manager, like I touched on earlier. I can't no, explain I things. I can't. I can't. I. I it, when I try to explain how I've achieved something or I've done something, I'm not talking about anything major. I'm just talking about a simple process. And I actually look back and it's it's chaotic how I've got there, but I get there consistently every time. You can't teach that. So um, I now employ people that will create the structures and the processes, but comes back to the core about what I want the business to stand for. But it's all it's overused, but transparency and honesty, and they're not USPs. They're they're things that I think should be standard in every business. That's not a selling point of your business. That's just what any successful business should have. But those things have to run through the company. Like I've seen things go on where it's like that's not how we operate. I've had I talk about it in real life in terms is that we we've had engineers that have come to us from other companies, not not competitors, but other 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 companies that do similar services to us. And they'll go, oh, so when we go on site, are we targeted and do we have to generate work? And I'm like, explain that. Just explain that to me. Or we'll, we'll go and test emergency lighting and we'll fail X, Y, Z. We, we're actually targeted to find things. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, if any business has to operate like that, they, are, they won't be around very long. Yeah. They'll, get, they'll get sussed out. So we come across it. We know what other – and these aren't competitors that I operate with. We, 
these are other big companies that do maintenance yeah. services. Um, and I would say very, very disingenuous, unscrupulous ways about going about things. And we just don't employ but those people have come into the business and they don't last very long with us because they they're not aligned with what we what we offer. That's yeah, nice to hear, mate, because I think I, I have a, a lack of trust a lot of time with suppliers that do come in and try and offer us stuff, whether that's IT stuff or I mean, we don't have too many suppliers because we're a professional service. There's not really much that we have. But, you know, it's, I know everyone's got to make money. I get that. But it, I think you have to, unless you can trust your suppliers, and, you know, it's, it's difficult, you know. It's, it's difficult, mate. But, um, because a, good, couple, a good business shouldn't have to, uh, have to generate work unscrupulously. Like, we, we generate work. So when our guys are on site, we, they, will, um, they will report back to our client everything that's wrong on that development we might be going there to fix a light fitting but we will talk about a leak in the corner a broken door a, a latch that doesn't work uneven paving all these kind of things and we just give the client the option like we we off, we, we sell ourselves to our clients as the eyes and ears of a property manager because i used to be a leaseholder myself and i tell this story to my clients all the time i used to be a leaseholder and i used to be in a block of apartments work that, that was managed by one of my clients um and I would walk past a light fitting that was flickering and not working at least twice a day for several weeks, thinking someone else will report it. Or miraculously, the property manager lives in that same block and they, they see it themselves and they, they visit my site every day, every hour, and they will get it fixed. Leaseholders won't report it until it's too late. And that conversation with, our, with a property manager is they are agitated because they're pointing fingers of why it hasn't been done. And the biggest failing in that setup is that suppliers that go to site more often than our, the property manager are the ones that have failed because they've not notified the property manager who could instruct them or someone else to rectify it. So part of our offering that we we offer is the eyes and ears of property managers whilst we're on site. We will give you a property health check. We'll tell you everything that's wrong. You haven't got to instruct us. Yes, we do do it, but you haven't got to instruct us. But you're going to have a price. You're going to have an option. Make it easier. Make the, the friction of getting that work resolved less and very, very easy. A click of a button, we'll get that problem fixed. Before it. It's worth money, mate, convenience for people. Yep. I, would, I would pay one person and they get everything done for me. Like, and have to deal with multiple people, yep. multiple problems. I, 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 I like the offering, mate. I mean, that kind of brings me on to, uh, we've got two more questions, mate, and then I'll, I'll love and leave you. But, okay. Um, what is your biggest kind of like professional success that you've you've had at the moment, and what's the dream, mate? Where's you know what's what's the dream for Darren? The success one's a real hard one because my my biggest fault is I don't ever celebrate celebrate my own successes. Like my wife says it all the time. So like, do you understand like what we've achieved in in this period of time? And I don't because my biggest failing is I always want more, personally and professionally. So I achieve one thing, and there's no real celebration or acknowledgement. It just we just move on to the next. So employing the first person outside of a family was a success. Having our first office was a success. Having more vans on the road, other than just me and my dad out there doing it, was a success. The, these things are just things that have just come and gone as we've gone along. In terms of what's the dream and where we're going to go, I kind of touched on it before. Was we want to we want to be the household name that the, the property manager's choice of maintenance partner um 
offering all the services that a property manager would need and take away the hassle and the management of managing multiple suppliers. It's one of the biggest things that property managers and agents talk about their profit margins being tight and how much they can charge their clients. A lot of their time is wasted in managing lots and lots of suppliers, all that work slightly differently, create reports differently. My eye, my, my vision to the business is that we are, I won't use one-stop shop because it's not a very nice term, but a one point of contact to serve all the problems that a property manager and service management basically take over ownership of all the services and whether that's cleaning, fire alarms, passive fire, general maintenance, leaks, mechanical services, communal cleaning, all under one house. We will manage that for you. We can drive economy of scale and value by combining. Our clients don't use their buying power anywhere near enough. They Managing agents will have lots and lots of different property managers all doing their own thing, all have their own personal favourites of suppliers. If they grouped that together and drove economy of scale, you'd be able to get the independent, the one-man band type prices from big companies because you're given the, given the scale to drive the economy down. And that's the way that we see our, our business developing over even over the even the short term over the next 12 months is by offering that complete service, by driving economy of scale, um, but also improving the service delivery for the client. Good man, mate. I'm sold, mate. I'm in. I'm Good. in. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's all that matters, mate. <laughs> um, I mean, I want to thank you for coming on today, mate. You've been wonderful. Um, you're actually the first guest we've had on here, mate. So thank oh, you for that. You've uh, put my podcast cherry. It wasn't as painful. <laughs> so um, thank you for coming on. Um, anything you want to leave the listeners with before I uh, stop the recording? I suppose I'll just say, look, if anyone's got any questions or, or wants to reach out, whether that's personally, professionally, anything that I've touched on, whether that's mental health, well-being, our business, other questions in the, in, in the, the industry, whether it's fire safety or any of the offerings that we make, please just reach out. You'll always get an honest viewpoint. The um, will be on the um, podcast, so you'll be able to email Darren directly. And you um, send me a nice picture of yourself, mate, because I've got you. I've got, got hair now as well, so in all yeah, my business, pretty straight. I think you're super longer hair. Yeah, people can't yeah. see this, obviously, but Darren's hair's a bit longer than usual. So. <laughs> I'll make sure the picture that gets sent is uh, one with a full bar. <laughs> right, uh, thanks, guys, and um, yeah, tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs>